Hello, listeners. Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator. I'm all about capturing and curating career and life stories as a meaningful way to celebrate a milestone moment like a big old birthday, anniversary, retirement, or graduation. And I'm at my best when curating photo books that move your memories from the basement or your phone or your computer to the coffee table, giving you and your family and friends access to these treasured memories for years to come. I also love curating and capturing life and career stories through this podcast series, How Did I Get Here? It's a series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who have been there, done that, so that they might be inspired with some new ideas or maybe just comforted knowing they are not alone, that everybody starts somewhere and everybody goes through times of transition and times when they feel stuck. Today, I'm very excited to be interviewing Christine Klein-Spraker. Welcome, Christine. Did I get all that right? I know that was a lot of- You did. Yes, it's it's a lot of um, hard consonants too. It's it's really great to be here, Kathy. Thank you for having me. And Christine and I met through the wise women and we're just getting to know one another. So I'm, I'm very excited to dive into her story today, bring it to all of you listeners as well as get to know her better myself. And she's a very interesting spot in her career right now. So she's a former co-CEO, so just left a business that she was building. So she's kind of in that portfolio career. She's a board member. She's an author. So there's a lot of reinvention going on is what I'm hearing. So I can't wait to hear more about how, where did I get here from Christine? We're going to pause for a moment to hear from a very happy Life Story Curator client. I'm a client of Life Story Curator, and I reached out to Kathy to do my husband's 50th birthday book. Um, And I chose to use Kathy because I've seen her work, and of course, I've known her for a long time, and I knew that the product would be way above uh, standard. Um, I've done books myself, and um, I knew that she would do an exemplary job. The process um, working with Kathy is very organized. And we started off with interviewing me, um, coming up with a deeper analysis of who my husband is. And through that process, we came up with things I would never thought of on my own with just her asking certain questions. It triggered memories and special things that really added a great deal of value um, when we went to put the book together and, and I hadn't, again, I hadn't remembered all these things when I first talked to her about it. So having that interview was great. <clears throat> when my husband opened the book on his birthday, he was, um, nervous of course at first and then very excited and, um, quite emotional. Um, you know, that he's, he's from New Zealand. And so having family represented from so far away in this book was really, really special. And I know that family and friends from afar were pleased to be able to be part of this process. Um, and I couldn't have done, you know, half the job that Kathy did, particularly in the time frame. And it was just beautifully presented and she captured him very well. And, and she helped me sort of narrow down the focus and the amount of photos and, uh, it, it couldn't have been any better. On that note, Christine, uh, we always like to start with the icebreaker questions. So if you would tell us where you grew up, what part of the country or the world, 
and where you fit in the birth order in your family and how those two dynamics shaped you as a person. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, I'm actually a local here to Denver. Uh, I grew up in a suburb of Denver called Arvada and born and raised. Um, I stayed close. I went to school in Boulder and I didn't really leave Colorado uh, outside of vacationing until after college. After college, I moved to Santa Monica, uh, California, came back to Denver a few years after that, met my husband, moved to Virginia. We came back to Colorado a couple of years after that. And so I've been in Colorado for the majority of my life. Um, I like Colorado because I think it gives you a little bit of that West Coast mentality, but still a little bit of the Midwest laid backness. Um, my family's all from Michigan. And so they definitely have that Midwest, um, you know, kind of the twang and just a little bit more of a laid back way. Um, as far as my siblings, I am the youngest. So um, I was born in the 70s, uh, the youngest of four, but I came from a blended family. So it was interesting because growing up the 70s and the 80s, you know, blended families weren't really a thing yet, uh, which just basically means my parents were both married before, had children, divorced, married, had me. So um, I think people knew about step-siblings in the 80s, but nobody really knew what a half-sister or a half-brother was. I had an oldest sister who was the half-sister. And then I had two half siblings from my dad who were um, uh, a sister and a brother. So I was the youngest. Uh, having the blended family, I think that it created uh, a little bit of chaos, uh, to say it simply. Um, well, and a family of four. I mean, four kids creates chaos just in itself, right? <laughs> chaos in and of itself. And so my oldest sister and I lived together full time. And then my two middle siblings were my dad's. They would come to visit every other weekend. And then it was like Disneyland when they came. And so it was just fun, fun, fun. And then they would leave and it would be back to normal. And there was a lot of fighting and bickering and everything that went along with that. And so I think I learned, I don't think, I know, I learned at a young age um, how to become a, a peacemaker. Uh, I very much thought to not rock the boat. Um, I was very much a supporter of the underdog. I would take their side. I would try to, you know, calm the chaos as much as I could learning later in life that that actually was my way of protecting myself that's how I felt safe um, I've learned as well since then that I've, I've brought that trait into my professional career uh, a, a lot of times it was hard for me when two people were having conflict I would always try to be the mediator or the peacemaker in those situations as well so it's interesting that this is one of your questions because that birth order and everything that goes on with it certainly shapes you um, as you get into your later years and into your career. Yeah, I can totally relate. I'm a middle child, so not the youngest, but middle. Total peacemaker. And harmony is one of my strengths in the strength finder tool. And so I do, I struggle with like when I was in the workplace and there was conflict, it makes me very anxious, but yet conflict in a way you know, reveals problems. It can move things forward. I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, positive outcomes that can come out of conflict if it's kind of managed properly, but yeah, you shouldn't have to just always avoid it. And I think I was always trying to avoid it or, you know, right. do whatever. Right. <laughs> well, I think, I, well, I, I never learned how to deal with conflict really. I mean, the way I did it was try to just avoid it. Like you were saying, 
And, and, you know, no fault of my parents or anything like that, but they weren't taught how to deal with it. So really it was later in my career that I, um, when I was, you know, co-running this business with my business partner that I actually learned how to have healthy conflict because there really can be healthy conflict to your point about um, it, it brings, you know, problems out and it helps you, it helps you just go deeper and to figure the root of problems or get to the root of a cause or root of a problem is what I'm trying to say. Um, and so it's definitely a skill and it's something that I'm trying to teach my kids now. Um, but having avoided it most of my life, it's certainly not natural. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you shared that because you know what, that, that's exactly right. I was the same way. It was it was the peacemaker to end the conflict, but I don't know that I had any special skills on how to deal with conflict or um, conflict resolution. I had to have a lot of classes, you know, having crucial conversations because I never wanted to have those right. tough conversations because it felt like conflict, right? Right. And so I, you know, and I wanted to be liked and all these things. So yeah, it leads to a lot of things that can be somewhat maybe unhealthy until you really address it later. So, so we have a little similar background and growing up there. Absolutely. So what did you do as a young person for activities, music, sports? Uh, what, what was fun for you? I, I did a lot of, um, my mom was one of those moms who had me try everything. I didn't have to like everything. I didn't have to do it. You know, I didn't have to stick with it, but I had to try everything. So I, um, I was in the Tiny Tots band. That's the earliest thing I could remember. I made my own instruments and walked around and banged them. Um, but I played piano, I played um, the accordion uh, for about six months, which is not something many people get the opportunity to play. Um, I was an avid swimmer. We actually had a pool in our backyard. I was really lucky. Uh, and I spent so much of my time in that in that pool. And I still swim today. I, I really, it's very cathartic for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I played softball and then I became a dancer. And dancing was really my first true love and passion. I started in fourth grade. And then continued um, until I graduated high school. Uh, and then, you know, in college and after would make sure to find some dance club where I could try to shake my tail feather a little bit. It is funny Can when we... you get to be an adult, how do you find dance as a, you know, as a hobby? Um, yeah, it's it's a little bit different, right? <laughs> It's it's a lot more challenging. I've actually recently been thinking about taking up salsa dancing, but then I think you need a partner for that. So I'm not really sure how that's going to work out, uh, but I do miss it. And I would like to find some way to get back into a dance activity. Yeah. Yeah. When you have that uh, lifelong, you know, passion, you want to keep doing it, right? And Yes. And, okay. and dancing well, till 2 a.m. at nightclubs is no longer uh, oh. anything that I can do nor want to do. So. Yeah, and it, the music for that is a little bit different maybe than what you want to dance to as well. So, okay, we're going to shift gears just a little bit. Are you an introvert, an extrovert, or the ambivert, which is kind of in the middle? Well, um, maybe kind of in the middle. I I personally think I'm an introvert. Most people who um, know me are always like, what? You're an extrovert. I very much find my energy and recharge by myself. I love being by myself. I love spending time alone. Um, it's something that I um, have really worked hard to uh, build into my schedule um, every day. And I, you know, I think a, a true introvert, that is how they recharge. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. having, you know, operated a company, being in leadership positions, um, I'm, I can be very social. 
And so I think that that's where um, a lot of people see me as being extroverted. I'm outgoing. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy getting to know people. Um, but going back to the energy portion of it, I usually am very um, tired after, or I, I, I don't seem, I don't get energized always from it. Maybe if it's a, a certain group of people or a small group of people, but if it's a large gathering, it usually tends to um, deplete me. And then I like to go home and rest and recharge. <laughs> Rejuvenate. Yeah. And that yeah. is the, the definition that I was looking for is that where do you get your energy, right? From people or from within and, and uh, cause there are those who just love it, right? Everything is about the people and the energy and I'm definitely in the middle. I need a little, I need both. I need both. The Especially balance. COVID taught me I needed more people than I realized. <laughs> and we'll see some good things actually. I mean, I think there are some good things that came out of COVID. A lot of great lessons learned and yeah. maybe that was one of them. Yeah. Self-care was one of them. I think that people really took a different uh, take on. Absolutely. Okay. So on the fun meter, a scale of one to five, one being couch potato and five being life of the party, where do you put yourself? Oh, well, I think it depends on who you ask and when, and I know you're asking me. Um, I think I could be a four, um, but the old, like the old me, and we, I'm sure we'll get into the old me. I was really rigid and I was not a lot of fun. Um, I was wound pretty tightly and overextended and really bu uh, busy, just rushing from one thing mm. to the next with my family, with the business, um, with obligations. And I, I mean, I would guess my friends and my loved ones would say I was pretty low, like a one or a two at that point. I would say I was a one or a two, um, but naturally, you know, three or four, I like to get out. I like to have fun, but then going back to the introverted you know, extroverted question, I do very much like to just be home and recharge and meditate a lot. And I don't know if a lot of people think I'm a lot of fun when I'm meditating, <laughs> but. You're sharing that because, um, you know, how we are as a young person and how we grow up, but there's a lot of demands on our time, right? And so if you're not, you know, if you need to recharge, you got to recharge and that can't always be the life of the party. And sometimes extroverts are life's a party and then sometimes introverts are. So very interesting. I always like to get kind of all little different components of that. And then kind of last question on the risk meter, scale of one to five, one being low risk taker, five being high risk taker, where do you put yourself? I put myself right at a five. Um, I just have always, I've run through walls. Uh, that's what I do. I, I, I operate very much from my gut and if I have an instinct or an impulse, I usually just go without taking the time to weigh the risk and the benefit of it. Uh, it served me uh, fairly well uh, most of my career, but there's definitely been times where I've been a little burned from it. Um, but ultimately for the best reason, you know, there's always some lesson in it. So I, I, I'm not afraid of fear. I don't like to sit and think about, Oh, what could go wrong? Um, I'm not af afraid of risk. I mean, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just really think that <laughs> I used to work with a guy who said, um, no balls, no babies. I hope that's not too crude, but it oh. really just, I mean, it really just kind of sums it up. You got to be willing to, to take those risks to really reap any, you know, big rewards in the long term. Yeah. I like that. Interesting. I got to tell you, I have the worry gene. 
So that when you said, think, you know, I think things through and what could happen and there's four different things, four different outcomes and which one, I, and you know, so that can be paralyzing, right? So from a risk perspective, it, it would be great to be able to just say, you know what, what about the goal? Let's go for the goal and not even worry about the risk. So very cool. Well, well thank you I, for sharing that. Yeah, I would, when I would just say on the other side, it probably would be good for me sometimes to have a little bit more analysis where I, instead of going, oh, why did that happen? And somebody's going, duh, of course that was going to happen. I could have told you that was going to happen. Um, so maybe a, a little bit of, of both. Maybe there's a, a good balance there somewhere. Yeah. Well, that's what I think is so great about business, right? Is you got those people, you know, you got a mix of all these people, right? And those pushing forward saying, let's just go, go, go. And those saying, wait, let's go slow, 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 figure right. out how to do that. So. Right. Okay. Well, I just love all these questions because we get a little bit of insight into how you grew up, where, what made you tick and all of that. So now before we get into how did I get here, the big part of your, your story and your journey, tell us a little bit about what it's like to be, you were co-CEO. Now you're, you said you just sold that business and now you're an author. So tell us about this portfolio career and what you've got going on. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just one small correction. Um, I just resigned from the company. We didn't sell. Oh, um, okay. I, I was um, co-CEO along with my business partner, who was the founder of the business. He had asked me to join in 2015, and we built the business together. And it was truly the most amazing eight years of my life. I mean, from a career perspective, it, I can't imagine anything better. And I'm hopeful that you know I'll have more pinnacles, you know, throughout my career, but Right now, looking back on it, it was just such an amazing experience. It's a healthcare technology company. Um, he was a doctor. I was a business person. We brought our talents and skills together, um, balanced each other great, and took this idea of his into a, a best-in-class healthcare technology company where we sell software that we build uh, to hospitals. And uh, we were co-CEOs in 2018. And then the company just was growing so big and so fast that we got to the point where the company truly deserved a single leader. And we went back and forth about different variations of what that might look like. And ultimately, I knew that there was a next chapter in my career that allowed me to step forward and really help and empower and inspire women in a different way. And so I made the really painful decision to um, resign in April of 2023. And, um, you know, I, I, I miss the company. I, I miss the people. I miss our clients. I miss everybody so much. Um, but ultimately, it really allowed me to get into a different space uh, where I could really think about what does that look like to inspire and empower women, men, um, into making choices, you know, that better serve them. And so when I resigned, I kind of went into a little bit of a, a cocoon for several months and just rested. I'd been go, go, going for so long. I had two young children, um, had built, building the business and really started focusing on my meditation practice and spirituality and something I'd always loved to do was write. I've always been a writer. I did a lot of writing for the business. Um, I was a creative writer growing up. And so I just started, you know, I was a journaler. So I, I started journaling on my computer. And what happened is it kind of turned into these blog posts. I didn't mean for them to be blogs, but they're blogs. 
And then at the prompting of some of my friends who said, you know, maybe you should write a book. I just kind of, I just started writing. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, this book was pouring out of me. And um, surprisingly, it only took about eight weeks to write. Um, And it just felt very natural. I, I knew nothing about writing a book, getting published or anything like that. But I felt like I had a story to share. Um, and ultimately, the book is titled Unwinding Perfect, and it's kind of a memoir slash self-help maybe uh, book about, you know, growing up as this people pleaser, growing up in this chaotic environment where I learned these different coping mechanisms, and then how um, that drove me to almost present this, you know, perfect life all the time, um, you know, the perfect husband, and the perfect job perfect career, all of these perfect things. And then what it actually took for me to take a step backwards and say, you know, maybe all of these things aren't serving me in the best way anymore. And so the book is um, about me, you know, really unwinding some of those generational patterns and the conditioning that I had from a young child and stepping into this new place in my life. And so we had talked a little bit about the portfolio career and, um, what it's allowing me to do now. The book comes out April 22nd of this year, 2024. And it's allowing me to have this space where I'm saying, okay, what really serves me now in this you know, second overture, my second overture, this second shot at my career? I loved sales. I loved building a business. How can I bring my talents to really help serve and serve others? And so um, the book is the first step to that. And I'm excited to see what happens and where it goes from there. Ah, well, I'm excited to read it. I got to say so much of what you're saying resonates with me and why I'm even doing this podcast, because it's, we all want to put our best presented self out there, right? Which I don't know that I, I was trying to put perfect out there, but probably, right? You're always trying to put your best self out there. And many times, you know, the behind the scenes, when you finally get to talk to other people and realize everybody's got the same insecurities or challenges or they're not always sure what to do. They got to figure it out by talking it through with other people. And, you know, what, what, how do you come up with a strategy and a vision and a mission for a business, let alone a product and a department and your life and your, I mean, there's all these pieces and parts. So yeah, so many. awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Well, I'm very anxious to read it. So and we were talking about your book club. It's going to have to be one of your books in your book club, right? You know, I don't know if I could sit through a conversation um, where there well, people are critiquing the book. That's uh, true. Maybe a year from now, you'll you'll have gone yeah. through a whole year of uh, of uh, living with it and sitting with it and hearing all kinds of feedback. So, okay, well, Christine, then tell us. Then let's get to the how did I get here part. So, when you were a young person, junior high, high school. You said you always were kind of writing was good, but what did you want to be when you grew up? Were you thinking you were going to be CEO? Were you thinking healthcare? Were you thinking an author? What What were you thinking? None of the above, actually. Um, I didn't know women were CEOs, you know, just to be frank. Um, my dad, my dad was an entrepreneur and a small business owner uh, and really had shown me from an early age the benefit of uh, being an entrepreneur and, and owning your own business. You know, he never had the title of CEO or anything like that, though. So I just, um, I really thought that I would end up following in his footsteps. He, he, he was a builder. He owned property. He owned fun things like an arcade in Longmont when I was young. 
Um, so he just kind of had his hand in a lot of different things. And I actually thought I would go work with him. So my um, first major was civil engineering. I thought I would get into civil engineering and, you know, things kind of shift in college. I, I was a, I really liked science and math. I, I got a C in calculus in college my freshman year and it scared me to death. I freaked out. I was thinking, oh my gosh, if I got a C in calculus, I can't be doing, I can't be a civil engineer. Um, I really had no idea how to study. I didn't know how to go ask for help. I, did, I didn't know how to advocate for myself or how to be successful. And what I did instead is I switched majors and I became an advertising major. And, um, and I never really considered myself that creative, even though I enjoyed writing. I didn't think I had much of a creative mind when it came to the you know, the marketing side of things. And so I assumed I would do account management when I graduated from college. It seemed something, you know, it seemed like a safe major that would get me a college degree and then I would figure it out from there. Unlike, you know, people who kind of know what they're going to be from a young age, I ended up graduating and having no idea what I was going to do. I applied to a couple firms in San Francisco and New York and never heard anything back. And said, okay, well, I'm going to pack up. I'm going to move to California. I worked for the Cheesecake Factory. I was always big um, in the service industry. It was a great way to support myself and to earn some extra cash. And so I transferred with the Cheesecake Factory out to, um, I lived in Santa Monica. And so I worked for them out there. And as I was driving out, I got a call from a recruiter and the recruiting company said, hey, you know, I've got a great job for you. Um, you know, they have more people under the age of 30 making over $100,000 and it's all you know, college educated graduates, blah, blah, blah. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, yeah, this sounds great, you know, sign me up. And then she said, it's with Enterprise Rent-A-Car. And I was like, what? I was like, I don't want to go rent cars. Like, I, I knew nothing about it. And so I was, I was a little, you know, like, thanks, but no thanks. And got out to L.A., worked at the Cheesecake Factory for a few weeks and just, you know, I was like, what am I doing? You know, I, I, I want a nine to five. I want a little bit more, you know, I, I want my nights and my weekends. So I called them back and they said, yep, no problem. Come in for an interview. And I did. And I met um, with the HR recruiter. Her name was Nicole. And she was this, you know, perky, blonde, UCLA grad. She was a cheerleader. And I thought, oh, wow, I can really relate to this woman. And she sold me on it. I mean, I was signed, sealed, delivered. So I started my first real professional job out of college was with Enterprise. And what's really cool is in Southern California, people care about their cars. So if you're in the car industry, um, it's, it's a great geography to be in. And so Southern California Enterprise just breaks all of these records as far as revenue and car rentals. And because people want to spend money on the car that they're renting versus Denver, people could care less. And so, you know, it was um, it was probably the best two years that I could have asked for as far as um, a, a management training program, a sales training program. I didn't even know I liked sales, quite frankly. I had always been pretty afraid of sales. And then when I got into this, I realized, you know, sales isn't doesn't have to be sleazy. It doesn't have to be car salesman -y. It's actually... Uh, consultative and you can be a partner and you can really help these people. And I was good at it. And so it was um, an easy career track for me. I loved working with people. I loved mentoring people. And so I quickly went from 
the management trainee to a manager in training, or maybe I mixed those up. I don't remember exactly now. And then to an assistant manager. And so, you know, they had this ladder that you can just climb pretty quickly. And I was, you know, I had a PL, I was running the Beverly Hills um, shop. I had, there were 11 employees. So I was really getting this, you know, a, a basically an MBA mm-hmm. while I had my, my boots on the ground, um, learning the skills in real, in real time. It, yeah, it was an amazing great, experience. Great experience. Yeah. I, uh, I interviewed a couple, three people that went to enterprise, same thing. And they were really? like, Oh, I don't know if I wanted to do. And then when they got in the management program, the management training program and say, so, I mean, they talked so, so highly about it because it really works. And it gave them this great foundation and this great experience that then launched them into, you know, all different uh, walks of life. So absolutely cool. Yeah. I've heard good things about enterprise. So do, yep. do they still have that it. same training program? Do you know? I think I, so. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Okay. So you were right place, right time. Yeah. It's all working out. So what uh, did you... Um, then get offered some other job or what, why did you end up leaving then? So I ended up moving back to Denver. Um, I, you know, I loved my experience out there, but my dad had always, you know, hammered, hammered into our heads. You need to buy real estate and buy a home. And I just knew I, <laughs> not, I, I knew not, I wanted to be not a home in California probably. Right. <laughs> right. No, especially. And I was making, you know, I hadn't quite reached that, you know, that carrot that they had touted. Um, so I moved back to Denver and I ended up buying a small little condo downtown and um, enterprise just was not quite the same in Denver. It was still a great experience, but it, it wasn't the same velocity than the same um, caliber that I had come from. And so I ended up leaving and my dad, he had owned a couple um, office buildings and he said, Christine, you know what you need to do? He said, I see all of these, you know, women in business suits walking into the office every day. They're carrying a little bag. He's like, I think they're pharmaceutical reps. I think you need to do that. I was like, huh, okay. And so I reached out to the same recruiter that had called me for for, um, Enterprise, uh, same recruiting firm. There was one here in Denver. And they said, you know, well, we don't really have anything for pharmaceutical sales, but we have something in medical device sales. And I didn't know what the difference was. I was, you know, naive and Mm -hmm. just optimistic, um, but knew I was good at sales. And I had kept a little brag book from enterprise. I had printed out all of my sales stats and my awards and congratulation emails. And so I got this interview with a company called Stryker, not knowing that Stryker is the top five medical device company in the world, um, let alone Pat Stryker, who's... Uh um, a granddaughter, she's in Fort Collins and um, very influential in the state of Colorado. And so I went on this interview and I, it came down to myself and one other gentleman who I actually had known from college. He went to CSU. He was a football player. He played professional football. I was sitting here thinking, there's no way I'm getting this job. You know, like he's competitive. He's got all of these things. Um, but I showed up and I had my brag book and I told them about all my experience and I ended up getting the job and was blown away. Um, but I was the assistant manager, or not assistant manager, assist associate rep to two full-time sales reps here in Colorado. And we were in the division, the beds and the stretchers and then hospital furniture. 
So it was a great experience for me. Um, I learned how to navigate hospitals and I got to do it under the tutelage of these two reps. <laughs> so I ended up going to my national sales meeting and that's where I met um, my now ex-husband. Um, but we both worked for Stryker and in meeting decided that I was going to move to uh, Virginia to be with him. And Stryker wasn't willing to just transfer me. So I had to interview um, with a different division and I ended up interviewing with the orthopedic division and getting a job out there. So by going to Stryker and the medical division, it then launched me into surgical device sales, which is where I spent the next probably 10 years of my career um, in the operating room, working directly with surgeons, selling them. With Stryker, I sold orthopedic implants. Then I went to Baxter and I sold um, products that helped manage bleeding during surgery. They're called topical hemostats and they interact with your clotting cascade to help you, you clot basically during surgery. And sometimes people bleed more or sometimes it's just a bloodier surgery. And so um, these products were used. And so I was lucky enough to get to see basically every kind of surgery that there is. I've seen everything from you know brain surgery to open heart surgery to all sorts of GYN in general and pretty much anything you can think of. And and you're I, calling yourself lucky? I mean, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, and it's funny. I guess I'm, I'm just kind of blown away that now all of a sudden you're in this medical industry talking about all these medical terms that, you know, you you just talked about you didn't pass calculus and you were, that freaked you out. But in this case, now you're learning all this stuff, but you didn't seem to have any, any uh, you know, any confidence issues that you couldn't learn it or just, oh, you know, happy. so good yeah, I mean, you're not confidence issues. Um, oh, that's a whole nother can. <laughs> yeah, well, we should talk about that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, so at Stryker, they did a really great job of, of preparing you, and they don't let you go into surgery until you have weeks and weeks and weeks of training. I mean, you learn everything about the, that particular surgery and everything about every body part that is part of that surgery and every tool that is used and everything that the surgeon may or may not do wrong or right. Um, so they really prepared you well for it. Um, mm -hmm. And then I worked under a, a man for about six months helping him cover cases and he learned during that. So I felt very prepared. But when I went to Baxter and I was selling the topical hemostats, I understood the clotting cascade. They, they do a great job of teaching you that. They do a great job of teaching you how the products work. But I was pretty adamant that I would not go into a surgery without knowing everything. I wanted to know it end to end. And so and in order to do so, I, you, I had to be a self learner. I, I wanted to make sure that I was confident that no matter what was going on, I would be able to answer any questions because there's nothing, even to this day, that I, I don't like more than being caught off guard. Um, I really... I'm not one of those people who's like, who can, you know, uh, I don't you know, like just wing it. You're not going to just, just wing, wing it. it. Yeah. Or play it off or, you know, any of that I, or yeah, I just, that's not me at all. And so I wanted to make sure that I was overly prepared. And so that's, I mean, that's really how I was able to have the confidence to answer your question, but it was, it, it, it was hours and hours and hours at home of my self preparation to make sure that I, I wouldn't be caught off guard. Yeah. So when, so you're selling these devices, you're in the surgery while, while, while they're doing the surgery, are you there to learn what the, the device maybe 
the next generation of the device so you could learn what it needs to do with their, you know, if they get fr frustrated with it, didn't do this right or didn't do that right. Or what well, I guess yeah. I'm surprised you would no. actually be in a surgery when you're not a I, medical professional. You know? I know. I, I think most people are. I was surprised, you know, I, I was surprised when I learned it was a thing. Uh, yeah. So you become the expert of your product, whatever it is you're selling. Mm. And so you're whole purpose, the reason why you're in the operating room with that surgeon is to be the expert to help them utilize that device. Now you're not scrubbed in, you're not touching the patient, you're not in the sterile field, you're behind all of that, but you're there to support them. You're there that, to help the nurses set it up. You're there to talk them through how to clamp something together, how to mix a product um, to sometimes act as an advisor. I mean, quite frankly, you start to see hundreds and hundreds of cases, you see best practices that you can then take from someone else and then start to make these recommendations. And there was one time I, I was in with a doctor for something, uh, something that I was selling and I was able to make a suggestion for this doctor that he had never before even heard of. He's like, Oh, and then he tried it and he's like, Oh my gosh, I would have never known to do that. And so, you know, you, you kind of become a second, you know, somebody that they can rely on if you're good. If you're not good and you're, you know, kind of full of it, Just nobody really your, wants your wares, selling your wares, right? So you became a trusted advisor for yes, these devices. Absolutely. Okay, okay, I get it now. Yep. yep. Hmm. And that's actually how I ended up meeting my business partner. Um, when I went to Medtronic, I sold... Uh, a procedure basically that helped pulmonologists get to the periphery of the lungs. So that's a scope that goes into the lungs. Really, you can only see the first third of the branches in the lungs through a traditional bronchoscope. And the product that we sold basically extended it out. And so you had a virtual view of the lungs. It wasn't necessarily live. It wasn't a scope at that point, but you had a virtual and then you could biopsy different um, lesions and different nodules and masses to see if it was cancer or what might be going on in the lungs. And so I met my business partner because he was a client of mine and he was diagnosing lung cancer at an earlier stage than most other doctors throughout the country. And he um, was just simply following an algorithm that he had created that was designed to track patients who had what are called incidental findings. I won't bore you with all the details of it, but basically if you go in for some type of medical imaging and they're looking for, let's say, um, let's say you're in a car accident and they're looking for a broken rib, sometimes they'll find something else than what they're actually looking for. So in this case, wow. instead of a broken rib, they find a spot on your lungs. And 70% of the time, those patients would go unfollowed or untracked. And so what my business partner was doing is he was just making sure that um, those patients were tracked. And so because there was no software to do it, it was a lot of time and energy and burden on his staff. And so he said, I'm going to start this company, come join me. And this is kind of where that risk question comes in. I love yeah. I left this nice cushy job and um, went and worked for a startup and, you know, it turned out really great. But a startup is risky. I get it. I get it. Right. Yes. And yes. you left a cushy job where you were established and 
you knew what you were doing. Yeah, I get it. Didn't it? And it has healthcare and long and a runway yeah. and established yes. a big company. Yeah. Income, a ladder. I had a company car, you know, everything was basically paid for. And I, I didn't, I, I literally did not think twice about it. I was like, okay, great. Let's go do this. I know we yeah. can do it. I know there's a problem. I believed in myself. I believed in him. I thought he had the solution and we went and we did it. Yeah. So what, what was the draw then? I mean, was it that you got to be part of something new? Uh, so what was it that kind of gave you the juice enough to say, you know, I, I really kind of, I'm, in, I'm proving myself. I was, I don't want to start over again, but yet you're willing to do a startup. Yeah. You know, great question. So I think part of it went back to my dad. Um, I had, I think I said that I always thought that I would follow in his steps. I thought I'd be a small business owner out of college. And I just, you know, by happenstance fell into these large corporations, first enterprise, then Stryker, Baxter, Medtronic. And these large corporations, they offer a lot of that security that we just talked about, a lot of that cushion, they're stable, um, but I just felt like there was something more. There was this inner impulse inside of me that was just saying, this is, this is the ride of a life. Like this is something really big and you can change lives and you can, um, stretch yourself. And, and I got to do all of those things and have a ton of imposter syndrome during it, which happy to talk about as well. Cause that was a big part of some of my career. Yeah, making that big change. Well, you know, yeah. and you know, sometimes you think corporate has a lot of security, but then it doesn't, right? Corporations merge and then they cut half the staff, right? A new leader yeah. comes in, brings in their team. We got to cut the people that are there. So sometimes it can feel like that's the safe route to go, but then that's yeah. not always safe either. So it's yeah, it's really great point. Seems like you had that entrepreneurial DNA though. Then that was kind of what was niggling back there saying, well, you know, I should do this startup thing. And, I think so. You know, and you said eight years. That's a great run. And it's still going strong, right? You said the, the reason you left is because it was, you know, it needed more from you probably. And you were doing so much already, right? That Yeah. Well, or it was just time, sounds like, too. Well, yeah. I mean, a combination of both, really. Um, it was eight years. It, and I said it, it was the best eight years of my career, hands down. Um, my children were young when we started the company and that was 2015. So they were six and four. And after eight years of really being really, really long weeks and lots of travel and missing out on a lot. And quite frankly, just being, um, burning the candle at both ends. It, 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 I knew that we, we all knew that the company needed, it was time to have a single CEO and and it just, it, it was that time, you know, I go back to that inner impulse. I had this impulse that, you know what, it's time for me to step away. But I will say this, um, it really was scary. It was, it was the scariest decision I've ever, ever had to make. And it really required me to be vulnerable in a way that I don't, I, I didn't know that type of vulnerability existed because I was stepping away from a pretty big title. Um, I was stepping away from financial security. I was stepping away from, you know, the, uh, a business partner who had become a great friend. I was stepping away from colleagues and investors and people that I really cared about and this team that I 
just adore. And I struggled even after I made the decision. I mean, there were weeks that I was just like, what did I do? Did I make the right decision? Um, but my, I had started seeing a therapist and my therapist has said, Christine, you know, you've learned to do this dance from a young age. And so you continue to do this dance throughout life and you find people that you can do this dance with. He said, in order for you to truly be vulnerable, you have to be willing to change the dance steps. And by changing the dance steps, you learn a new dance. And so, you know, that, that just really stuck with me and resonated with me where, okay, like may, maybe it's time for me to do this new dance. And then by being vulnerable, by taking that new risk of stepping away from this business that I adored is when I was able to really just sit and be with myself and rest and recuperate. But then also is when the writing started and it's like this new dance is beginning. And I, I don't know all the dance moves yet. I'm far from even knowing, but um, I'm starting to learn them. I kind of like it. Yeah. Well, I'm being the risk taker that you are, uh, you know, this is a, it's gotta be, that's gotta be kind of exciting too. I, I do get though, that the older we get, the, the risks change, right? Because the stakes are higher with having kiddos and more responsibilities than when you're yes. just a single person, go to California or I'll go here or, you know, right. or even two people. When there's little ones involved, it really changes the stakes in terms of um, all the risk taking. So, well, very cool. I love how now we've come back to the dance again. This is yes. really interesting, right? That, and had, did that therapist know about your whole dancing passion and that that was a hobby? And I don't think so. No, and I, I, did, I didn't mean for this to come back in that way, but metaphorically, I mean, it, it really has. Um, yeah, no, I think that's just something he used probably with his patients as yeah. a way to describe it. Or just in looking at your life, the way he was seeing how you were interacting with people and decisions and, and the dynamics in your world. So very cool. Yes. Well, we could go on for a long time. So I feel like we've finally kind of got to now today. So, which is great. So let's go ahead and start wrapping up. If you uh, would share with us, uh, when you look on things now, what do you think has served you best? You know, characteristic, a strength, maybe a discipline. What served you best as you were coming through your career and coming through life? Yeah, I, um, I would say, well, I would say three things. Two of them you know, considered positive, one of them, maybe not, but um, optimism and tenacity, the hands down, I'm, I'm, I'm naturally an optimistic person. And I very much believe that things will work out for the best, no matter what, even when something, you're going through something hard. And as much as, as there's a struggle, there's always a lesson or something valuable or beneficial that will come from it. Um, and then the the tenacity, just the willingness to get back up and do it again. Um, there's a saying about being an entrepreneur. It's, you know, getting punched in the gut, going to bed and waking up to do it all over again the next day. And to get punched I, in the gut again tomorrow, right? <laughs> yes. And and it's, it's true. And But that also brings in the optimism of knowing, all right, well, I'm going to be punched in the gut, but I'm also going to be okay. It's, you know, I'm going to make it work. Um, and then the third component is maybe a little bit of nativity. Um, I didn't always know what I was getting into. And it was, it's a little bit of that risk. It's a little bit of the running through walls. I just, I just go and I don't really think about 
what maybe some of the consequences um, will be. And it served me well. I, I think I probably, if I had stopped to consider some of the consequences, I maybe would not have taken some of the chances that I did. Yeah. Well, I think it works, right? You have, you're a little naive, but you're excited about it and you're optimistic and then you're going to make it work, right? With the tenacity. So I think all those things line up together and they, they totally work. They totally work. Yeah. They, they were a recipe that worked well for me. Yeah, because maybe any one of those things on their own couldn't sustain, right? But you put all three together and uh, that really is a formula for success. Well, for you anyway, so awesome. For me, yeah, thank you. Okay, well, last question then. Uh, any words of wisdom that someone shared with you that really impacted you at maybe a low point or maybe a point when you were in a funk? Uh, or maybe just words of wisdom you, you use for yourself? Uh, that really might resonate for some others. Yeah, this is, um, I, I've talked about this um, before, but something that always has stuck with me and they're words from my dad. Um, he has a lot of those, you know, old sayings, but one of them is a job worth doing is worth doing well. And I come back to that even, even now, you know, I'm outside sweeping or something and I'm not doing a great job. I'm like, if I'm going to do it, I might as well do it well. And so I think I've really applied that to most things, most of my life. Um, whether it's cliche or not, it's it's kept me motivated. There's a lot of things we have to do on a daily basis that maybe we don't want to do, but if we're going to do them, we might as well do them well. Yeah. And we're we're the ones that might reap the benefit of it or recognize the sloppiness of it, right? If we didn't do it well. That's absolutely right. The only ones, but there's a sense of pride to knowing that you did it well. So absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. There's a lot of great pieces in here. I'm very excited. I, in fact, I was just meeting with a, a friend this morning who uh, is going through a transition. He got laid off last end of last year and he's going through all this mind stuff, right? He was at the big company, had this plan on how he was going to be promoted soon. And now he's like dealing mm. with, whoa. Yeah. Now I'm I'm in this situation where I'm looking for a job. And what job is it? Should I be going for the big job? Should I go for any job? What is it? And yeah, so I think mm. this is something maybe that could really, really resonate with him. And this whole Unwind Perfect, your book, I think could help too. Because we, we don't even know maybe we're trying to achieve perfect. Like we said, I'm just trying to right. put that positive image or professional image out there. And But sometimes it's better to be vulnerable. <laughs> I think sometimes we find ourselves doing something because we're good at it, but just because we're good at it, it doesn't mean it lights us up or it doesn't mean that our soul's on fire and it's what we're just truly desiring to be. And so, you know, I almost would caution or say to your friend, if you can, don't, don't rush it. Take the time to sit and be still and sit in that silence for a little bit and really I think when you follow what your soul is telling you to do, everything else will fall into place. It takes a lot of trust and there's some fear that comes with it. But if you're able to do that and you can be lit up every day, oh, I just, I think that that sure beats any grind or rat race that we've been conditioned to be a part of, especially in our society. So yeah, the conditioning, all the best. He and I talked about that today. We're kind of conditioned into this, you know, you get on that hamster wheel and you just think it's going to, you know, yes. keep progressing forward. So what did you do to find what lit you up? I mean, was there a book 
for um oh. or any, you know and when you look back on your your career I mean was there certain or just in this last year as you've looked at being quiet meditating you know taking that time was there one you know is there something that really kind of you know one day you went ah or was it a series of days and stuff yeah it, I mean I've kind of been a little bit on this journey um for a while um I, so the Buddha and the Badass was a book I read a couple years ago that really lit me up in a business perspective. It helped me understand that you could still be this badass, but incorporate a little bit of more of a, a Buddhist type mentality. That's more of a spiritual, loving forward, um, a, a convergence of the two. So that was probably the first in a, in a professional setting. And then, um, but when I came back, when, when I resigned from the business last year and I was sitting in that silence, um, I read this book called The Untethered Soul, which- I'm reading that right now. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, I, I just, I don't think there's such thing as coincidences, but um, I've read it three or four times since then, and it's just the the fundamental principle that I just keep coming back to. And I think when you're able to really lead with your heart and be open without closing because of fear or other, the conditioning or everything else that we're talking about, it really allows you to step into that. What is lighting me up? And where do I feel that joy versus oh, my, my stomach's in a knot because I'm thinking about this meeting that I'm supposed to go to or, you know, whatever it might be. Ah, okay. Well, see, this is the juice I was talking about when we talked earlier about, we yeah. get to the end and I can't, it's hard to wrap up because it's like, oh, this is where all the good stuff comes in. So anyway, well, Christine, again, thank you so much for sharing. Now I feel like I just know you at a, such a different level. I'm excited to uh, be at another Wise Woman event where we can spend some yes. more time together. And excited for your book to come out. So, um, gosh, I need to get on your mailing list and make sure I can help promote you in whatever way. When you first announced that at, at one of the first events we were at, right away, the title caught me. Um, and I think it's going to catch a lot of women because I know, you know, the imposter syndrome, syndrome tended to start a little bit more on the women's side. And then now is really expanded into we all have that going on right yes. uh, now. And now that there's a label for it, it makes a lot of sense uh, what was going on for people. So, and, and just to talk about that real quick, um, I will say to your point, it's not just women. I, I mean, yeah. I certainly felt it. I didn't know it was a universal thing, but as I started sharing it at company meetings um, or talking about it, people would come up to me, most, both men and women and say, thank you for sharing that. Like, I can't believe you had imposter syndrome. I have it and, and they wanna talk about it. And so the more we normalize it, uh, you know, maybe the less we'll, we'll feel like an imposter or at least we can say, hey, I'm feeling not confident about this, can you help me? So I yeah. think there's real value in that. Um, as far as a newsletter, um, my website is unwindingperfect.com. And if anybody's interested in signing up for the newsletter or getting on the mailing list, they can go there and, and drop their email in. Great. Great. That would be my next thing is I, I like to, when I post this interview, I'll put your social media and how they can connect with you. And we'll leave Amazing. that in this part of the video too, or the, uh, the audio that people can hear that too, how to sign up. Thank for you. This, so, yeah. It's, it's not live yet. So, um, but I'm assuming you won't post this for a couple of weeks, publish it for a couple of weeks.
weeks. Is that right? It'd probably be about a couple of weeks. So, but then people yeah. can sit, they can go out and poke around, see if it's live yet. Well, yeah. it's well, a it teaser. Will, it it's will a be. teaser. Yeah, a little teaser. All right. Well, so listeners, if you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe below so that you can be alerted when other interviews are published. And this interview will be published on my website, lifestorycurator.com, where I will have Christine's information as well that you can connect to her on social media. And then if you want to leave any questions or post any comments, you can do that for me and or for her. So on that note, I'll say stay safe, stay well, and let's keep sharing those stories. Have a great day.